Hello and welcome to the No Pun Included podcast, the only board game podcast in the world that takes place on ice. That's right, better wear your ice skates because we're about to slice through some board game boxes. Nice. Talking of slicing board game boxes, we just sliced half of them. Yeah, not literally. Yeah. Figuratively. Figuratively. We, we took our collection and uh, we made some weird maps and we divided it in half, basically, and we, we mm. got rid of half. Uh, fudging some of the maps. But fudging some of the maps. But when I say get rid of them, st- I can still see them. Yeah. They're, they're still looming. there. Through the gap in the door towards the other room, through that gap, I can see... The 108-ish board games that we're going to be donating to a local board game cafe. They're quite menacing. If you want to know what that's about, uh, you can go watch our video. We just recently did a video called Getting Rid of Half of My Board Games. Wasn't it 118, not 108? Sorry, 118, mm, yes. Even more. Uh, <laughs> that's a much larger number. You know, it'd make a good like burglar deterrent, though. If someone came in our house, they would just completely... Like, they wouldn't know they were there because it would be dark, I imagine. Yeah. And they would just fall over the board games immediately because they would not see them. Jokes aside, Elaine, I do want to say that uh, that was a really surprisingly rewarding video. Because when we did it, I was like... Well, this will be, you know, this is something we need to do. And this will be also a good video. But it actually resonated with a lot of people. And so many positive comments of people relating and sharing their own culling stories Mm. or or how they found something inspirational in that video and decided that actually they're going to trim down their collection as well. These are all good things. There were also some comments that straight up didn't understand why we were doing it or like saying things like, why did you pick an arbitrary number? Well, actually, the number wasn't entirely arbitrary. It was based on, I don't know, collecting board games for a really long time and knowing what we need to get rid of and because of how fast board games arrive into our house right so it wasn't like oh yeah you know i'm just gonna well okay it was honestly a little bit of i'm just gonna make myself feel a little bit of pain uh and partly that is for entertainment purposes but also partly that is because you you need to feel that pain to to kind of make those important sacrifices so that you know you make room for better board games in your life especially if you know you're gonna be sent more board games in the future uh so so that was that was not arbitrary that was a very educated number yeah i think you make a good point anyway um where you said our collection because we're not board game collectors it's our our job it's like if you worked in a stationery shop and you collected pens i don't know like well that's somewhat reductive because i think for both of us board games do have a more important place in our lives than stationary uh, all right all right no some people really like stationary no like you can become attached to anything Mm -hmm. right and and make it into a collection of anything but i don't think for us board games the the point of board games is to have all of them Uh right and and to seek out the next one right i think the point of board games for us is a to enjoy them either together or with friends or whatever Mm -hmm. and b is our job playing them is our job um and looking at them is our job and and some of it is just practicality we do we do need to make room for that you know in our lives yeah this is true but even if they were all the size of the button shy wallet games i think you would come to a point where you go okay what can i give to other people what 
joy can I give to them instead of keeping it to gather dust on mm. my own shelves? Having said that, there were some great suggestions in terms of what board games I I haven't kept uh, and, and how they <laughs> cause people a lot of pain. And I might be making a few reevaluations re whilst st they're still here, especially mm. since we slightly got the numbers wrong not in our favor so right. i think we can keep a couple of eggs like i mean one or two extra board games so one one of those two very coveted games I, i'm tempted battle for rockagon to 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 stick around but i don't know because especially such a small box and yeah. with so much game inside of it uh so we'll, we'll make some readjustments but nothing major then eventually somehow we'll get them to the dice cup that that hasn't happened yet we need we need to go no. through that process but we'll get there i think it's important as well to recognize that when you are in a position of privilege where you have a lot of board games then it is nice to um, share that with people and, and give it to somewhere like a board game cafe or, you know, any, anywhere else, a library, a school, whatever, so that other people can who can't necessarily afford to buy those games or don't want to buy those games can also access those games. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we got a few comments like that as well. So that resonated with quite a lot of people. I think overall it, that video just produced a, a really great, really unexpected result. Uh, and, and I think... A lot of people enjoyed it and a lot of people related to it and a lot of people got something out of it. So that's that's what I'm happy about. Uh, having said that, let's talk about one of the board games mm. that was in that pile that is, is going. And when we filmed that video, we already played that game and we knew what our opinion on it was. And spoilers, mm. I guess it's not sticking around. That doesn't mean <laughs> it's a bad board game. It just means that it's not sticking around in our collection, and two board games that were not in that pile, whether they're going to stick around or not, well, remains to be seen in the future. Well, one of them isn't. It's in the bin already. It's in the recycling as wow. we speak. Wow! Is it that bad, Elaine? <laughs> it's in the bin! <laughs> uh, it's not bad. It's just the type of game that it is. Well, without further ado, let's tell people what board games we're going to be talking about today. It's Dinosaur World, Exit, Mystery of the Ice Cave, and Magnate, First City. Every game discussed today is a review copy provided by their respective publishers. Rawr. Is is the is that meant to be a dinosaur? Yeah. It wasn't a very convincing dinosaur. Could you do a No, what 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 no, hang on. We have never heard a there is not a recording of a dinosaur. All right, but so I they wanna... could have gone ra. <laughs> what dejectedly? <laughs> dejectedly. <laughs> Wandering around going, yeah. I mean they probably did at some point. They they must have had sad days, no? I guess. Yeah. They have sad days. Let's talk about dinosaurs that are a little bit more exciting, like the ones in Dinosaur World. What is Dinosaur World, Elaine? If you already listened to our previous podcast where we talked about Dinosaur Island, rawr and right, uh -huh. uh, R-A-W-R, uh -huh. uh, you will Apostrophe. have... Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, there's only one apostrophe. Why is there only one apostrophe? Yeah, like if you like, look at Guns and Roses, in. it's Guns, apostrophe, N, apostrophe, yeah, Roses. Yeah, there's two letters missing. Yeah, Why exactly. is there only one? I don't know. I, anyway, anyway, that's aside. Uh, you will have an idea of what Dinosaur World is because the game works in a similar way you're building a dinosaur park uh you're filling it with dinosaurs filling it with attractions like 
T-shirt stands and burger stalls or whatever. Uh, and then you will have a little tour in your Jeep all around this dinosaur park. And you will hopefully get some excitement. Did from you the... say Jeep? Yeah, I did say Jeep. Well, that's what it's called. It's called a Jeep phase. Oh, no. Um, because it's a Jeep meeple. Yeah. It, I, thank you for putting that together for us, Elaine. <laughs> I don't think the audience could have figured it out. Without well, it's in the rule book. What can I say? I didn't invent this term. Uh, I did cringe when, <laughs> when I first saw it, but then I got into the it got into it all, so it was fine. Uh, and then you you take your jeep around and you get some excitement, hopefully from people who are on the tour, and hopefully not all of them get eaten while they're on the tour. So. Uh, dinosaur World is a reimplementation of Dinosaur Island, and mm -hmm. also different to Dinosaur Island Dulosaurus or something like that. Dulosaurus. Yeah, that was the two-player version of Dinosaur Island, I believe. Uh, and this Dinosaur Island, rare and right, as you've mm -hmm. just mentioned, and this is finally Dinosaur World, the the ultimate reimplementation of the Dinosaur Park franchise, I guess. And it's 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 fine. It's nice. I liked it. Uh, I had a good time with it because of its thematic trappings. And if you again listen to our previous episode, it's the same thematic trappings. You build a park. Yes. People want to get excitement out of it, and that excitement generates your economy. Mm -hmm. But then the more excitement you generate, the you know the more potential for danger happening. So when you build various uh, park attractions mm -hmm. filled with various critters they will have the potential for lethality and yeah. the lethality is where people die and you get negative points at the end of the yeah, game because they're either eaten or trampled or whatever yeah so it has the same vein of humor as all of them and i'm not gonna reiterate that because we already discussed mm. that in the previous episode so that works on all the levels, right. hits it just right, you know, that that is there and it, it does good and that's that, right? Now I want to talk a little bit about the strategic elements mm. of Dinosaur World. So we played this once as a two-player game yeah. and I played it another time as a four-player game. And uh, after playing our two-player game, I was relatively unexcited. Mm. After having played the four-player game, I was a little bit more excited and, and willing to give Dinosaur World a little bit more slack. I suspect that that's where it works best. Mm, and okay. the reason for that is specifically this mortality track or danger okay, yeah. or, you know, whatever it's called. So um, Death track. Death track, right? So you have these sort of two levers in your game. So the, the deaths that you're taking from building um various dinosaurs uh -huh. that pose threat like you build a t-rex that adds like perhaps free threat or something like that and then you have your security track which is basically managing how many deaths you're not going to get so if your security at the end of the round is like eight and your threat is eight no one dies it's yeah. fine right yeah. however if your security is seven and your threat is ten free people die you have to take free death tokens right mm -hmm. at the end of the game what's going to happen is the player with the least deaths is going to eliminate all of their deaths and they're going to have none deaths mm -hmm. now the, I, I don't know how that works yeah that's <laughs> well given a pardon of yeah because because they're the worst they're the least worst offender right? <laughs> right uh everyone else however uh will subtract deaths 
from their total equal to the number that that player with the least steps had. Yeah. So if that player had eight, someone else had 10, someone else had 12, someone else had 16, they would all subtract eight from their mm-hmm. total. And whatever is left is going to be compared to this like track and that's how many negative victory points you get mm-hmm. so when we played our two-player game our depths were pretty much about roughly the same yeah and then i i had a little bit more and i lost like maybe three points or something like that and uh, i was like okay well that's 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 fine i guess and it's not like the most high scoring game but it is in the like 80s or 90s or something mm. like that okay. you know so so three points went the end of the world mm. however when we played a four-player game one of the players lost 60 points from deaths <laughs> and ended with a score of five wow. <laughs> yeah and i realized that that becomes a lot more prominent when you have a high account of players and then someone is deliberately managing that low death count to punish those people who get ahead with too many points scoring and too much you know like shenanigans as it were and so someone is gonna keep everyone in check and whether that's part of your strategy or not is for you to decide when we played it with two players i i think both of us found certain mechanisms quite interesting um and certain thematic elements quite interesting but overall I think we found it a little bit disappointing and I know that after you played that four-player game you said it was a lot better it was Mm -hmm. a lot more interesting the interactions between the players were more uh, interesting Uh, the kind of tension of how much deaths you have and how much security you have and what you're willing to kind of Mm -hmm. uh, lose was more interesting yeah so for me, that came from, I think, uh, so I think we were both disappointed because when we looked at all the tiles that you can buy to put into your park, whether they're attractions or like dinosaur pens or mm. whatever, none of it like struck us as particularly exciting because they're all sort of things we've seen before in games. Uh, and that in itself isn't necessarily bad. Uh, but they were also within like what they granted y- you in terms of abilities or what they did felt quite miserly and unengaging. Uh, like, oh, you build a stegosaurus. Okay, well, the stegosaurus pen will allow you to build four dinosaurs. Each of them will grant you some points. Uh, and the points are variable, so they're not going to be exactly the same points as triceratopses. And then the points sort of differ based on which dinosaur you build. Because mm. you, you build the first one, you get that many points. And mm. uh, you build the second one, you get more points. So, for example, you could have a curve that goes uh, few points, few points, then very high points, and then really high points. So if you build your fourth one, yeah. you've built up towards a high points thing. Yeah, and but that's going to cause more fret or whatever. It's different for each type of dinosaur. Yeah. So there are dinosaurs that maybe only grant you one victory point for the first two dinosaurs that you build Mm -hmm. but then they might give you five and then seven or something like that uh and then there's like and i think that's like the herbivores and then there's like the t-rex that will immediately give you something like five points but it will add a lot more threat to your park yeah but essentially all all the dinosaurs the only way they differ is in how many points each dinosaur is going to give you and how many threat it's going to generate it doesn't seem to be much in 
terms of diversifying how these tiles feel. And then there's tiles with special abilities. So they'll say things like, oh, get points adjacent to that many color tiles that yeah. you have around this tile. And then again, that same tile, but for like a different color. Mm. And like, it's fine. And I think it would be fine in a smaller footprint game. But Dinosaur World is... Oh, it, was a, it took over the entire table, didn't it? Yeah. There's so many tiles. There's so many boards with where you place tiles. Mm -hmm. And there's so many pieces. And, and it's great that, like... So, uh, in the Kickstarter version, uh, first of all, the dinosaurs are made out of this uh, acrylic material that feels very, very pleasing. It uh, is, yeah. And it looks really, really nice. But then there's weird things, like, you know, you have to... Uh, distribute them you have to put them onto your tile but you put them vertically so you never see the silhouette of the dinosaur mm. you just see their back and th they all look the same from that perspective yeah, because they're either all green or red or purple depending on whether they're herbivores or meat eaters or whatever yeah so for me that was the biggest like probably the biggest disappointment in the game is that after i build my triceratopses yeah. i can't actually even see that they're triceratopses unless I somehow slide the tile to be less legible and less readable and put it like horizontally rather than vertically. I think you make quite a good point uh, that that was a kind of thread through the game overall that all oh, the production quality was amazing. Like everything looked super, right? Mm -hmm. But then when it actually came into the game, it didn't do a lot. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, there's a tile that is, I think it's a goat pen. Mm -hmm. And and it was it's funny because you think, oh, lovely, a goat pen. But you get points for it depending on how many, uh, I think it's big carnivores, so like T-Rexes and stuff, that surround that tile. Because the carnivores are going to be eating the goats. They're not, uh, it's not just like a little goat it's pen. It's not for fun. So it's, it's, yeah. it's funny. But, but, so that is a little joke. And you go, oh, that's funny. And you put it in and then it doesn't really do anything. You, well, it's it, just it, it's point. scoring no, 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 points. It's just a point generation. Yeah. It doesn't keep that thematic element going in any way. And that's the same for all the dinosaurs. Once you have built that dinosaur and you put that little plastic dinosaur mm. on that tile, nothing really happens apart from it generates points and threat. And I think that was a kind of the exciting bit to of going to a dinosaur park in my head, in my fantasy like dinosaur park, is seeing the dinosaurs and what they can do and Yeah. Right. And they don't do anything apart from mechanical elements in the game like but mechanical elements that don't represent those dinosaurs right. very ver well right, right? exactly like I, I don't mind the mechanical no, elements I, I guess i said that wrong i'm yeah. struggling to to get my point across there yeah uh yeah but no you're right you're right they don't diversify mm. in what they do and and it's bizarre as well because when you build a dinosaur and you build them out of genetic material right mm. because you're building actual live dinosaurs you're not constructing mm. them out of fiberglass when you build the first one it costs a certain amount of dna yeah and then when you build the next one it costs that dna plus extra why i don't know you're building the same dinosaur uh, like, that i just couldn't get past well here's the thing elaine so i got past it playing my second game mm. and it did get a little better like much better for me because again that imposition of of threat made you reconsider everything more so yeah. there was there, the game started feeling a lot tighter and i had to think more about 
what tiles were was I buying? You know, was the trade-off of this high threat worth it or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because you have to constantly manage this threat mechanism because one player is punishing you, <laughs> right? Right for yeah. any any hubris decision that you make, yeah. right? So it became a game that was a lot more in the margins, mm -hmm. right? And to me, that was interesting uh, and compelling. But also, I played a bunch of games that do similar things but lowlands comes to mind right. there there is that sort of you know duality to lowlands where like you push one way too hard and the scales are going to tip over because of what the other players are doing and, and that felt very similar but cleaner to me here there was just a lot of stuff and i think ultimately as much as i recognize i'm being too negative about this game i think we're both being too mm -hmm. negative about this game because uh, we we already extolled the virtues of the setting and the and the mm, theme and how mm. it's implemented in the previous episode, mm. right? But at the end of the day, I you know I I have to recognize that Dinosaur World felt less like you know dinosaur roller coaster and more like I'm an accountant in a dinosaur park that is somewhere far away where I'm never going to see. I just work at the office and I do the numbers, yeah, uh, and I make some decisions and I do more numbers and. And somewhere in the distance, there's the silhouette of a dinosaur, and I can wave to it and go, "Hi, dinosaur!" Yeah, but but there's not much interaction with that aspect. So I, ultimately, Dinosaur Wild, I, I liked it, but I wanted, I think I wanted to like it more. Mm. Right, that's the thing. I wanted to like it more. I wanted all those nice acrylic, and there's so many nice pieces in that oh, game. It's great. The the dice are chunky. The artwork is funny. The you know the dinosaur pieces are you know wonderful, and I love dinosaurs, and I wanted those dinosaurs to be represented better. Oh, one more thing, yeah. right? Throughout the whole series, there's this weird carnival bias, right? <laughs> that I just can't get on with and i'll hate myself if i don't mention it mm -hmm. but for some reason right <laughs> this game and all the other games in this line assume that i'm gonna be more excited by seeing a t-rex or a velociraptor right or whatever yeah. rather than a triceratops yeah. uh, and th when that's, that's your favorite dinosaur yeah right like yeah. all the herbivores like allosaurus uh, i don't think there's an allosaurus yeah uh stegosaurus uh -huh. you know triceratops all of the sauruses yeah all of these herbivore dinosaurs are so much more exciting than this stupid, angry murder chicken, right? <laughs> like, I just don't care about velociraptors. I, I, I'm mildly <laughs> intrigued by a T-Rex, but, you know, okay, big thing eat. I get it, right? Whereas all these herbivores are just amazingly varied and fascinating creatures that I would love to see and be way more excited by them. But you really like elephants as well. I do. Like, more, like if we went to a zoo now, like an actual zoo, you, if you'd I saw an elephant, see the yeah. elephant than the lion. Yeah, well, a lion so, was pretty cool, right? Only because that lion has played patty cake. It wasn't me. playing was... a game with you, Elaine. <laughs> yeah, it, it wanted was. to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did really badly. I, I, yeah, I know we've both been a bit negative about this game. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed playing it a lot with you, right? But mm. I was so bad at it. <laughs> My tours were so boring. And the thing is, when you visit somewhere, you can visit that place again on your next tour. But yeah. It's less exciting. And every time you visit it with a tool, it gets less exciting. And I just kept going to like the burger stand and the security hut. Right? Mm. And I didn't. 
Elaine right now is collapsing with laughter. And you need um, meeples in order to visit non-dinosaur Mm-hmm. Uh, tiles right and I didn't have enough meeples to visit anywhere like the roller coaster so but I had to pass through it so my tour was literally like okay we're going to the restaurant we are just driving past the roller coaster because we've not got a man to operate it and then we're going straight to the security hut surprise <laughs> like and everyone was like this is rubbish and like, it just went down and down and I just didn't score anything I was terrible but I didn't have a lot of people that died that's really where the game shines because these stories emerge and it's great. But for these stories to emerge, you sort of, uh, the way the game works is that you have you have three big important phases mm-hmm. each round, right? So there's a, a public action phase, a private action phase, mm-hmm. and the Jeeple tour, right? So in the public actions, you get a bunch of workers and they're of different colors mm-hmm. uh, because certain actions benefit from you having meeples in different yeah, like specific the, colors. Yeah, like the blue one is a scientist, so he's better at the science thing. Yes, exactly. And that's really nice. And and when you're done with your public actions, then you move into your private actions. And this is a real fun part of the game because the meeples that you get for the round, the workers that you get, you don't get like a new set for your right. private actions. Whatever you didn't use in your public actions, that's what you get to carry over. So you have to not over... Over spend in the public actions, which is um, getting dinosaur dinosaur pen pen, uh or or other types of tiles. That's that's where you get the attractions, basically. And then your private actions are like increasing security or making new dinosaurs in those dinosaur Mm -hmm. pens. And then finally, you have a jeeple tour where you take the jeeple through certain tiles that you choose. Basically, Mm -hmm. you start at the starting space and then you move through tiles with that jeeple. And every one you stop, you can choose to activate Now, if you activate a tile, it increases that tile's boredom. So this mechanism is fun because it means you can't overabuse good tiles because each time you go onto a tile, you'll be getting less and less excitement from it. Uh, and that's fun thematically because it tells stories, but also it, you know, it doesn't let you go onto the same tile too many times in the game or you won't get any money from it. Or you might start losing money from it, right? But then that Jeeple tour, that's the that's the narrative storytelling part of the game. Yeah. And normally it's done simultaneously. But if you do it simultaneously, then nobody tells the stories. No. So ideally you want to do it one person at a time but if you do that the game takes forever like really forever yeah, and, and and some people might not be comfortable narrating what they're doing anyway they might just want to do it and mm-hmm. get their points or, mm-hmm. or whatever for it and it, it also that's a that's a good point it does also uh, stop you from going on a tile too early so for example if you've got like a raptor pen uh, the boredom won't change whether you've got one raptor or four raptors in there mm-hmm. right so if you visit it on the first tour the boredom will increase right even if you put more raptors in there the boredom never changes so if you go back there it will still decrease yeah so because people have seen one raptor they've seen them all right? yeah so exactly. it stops you from going to those tiles too early i guess well the, the, there's definitely uh, an interesting management mechanism and, mm. and i like that the starting tile changes over in the middle of the game so that the tiles oh, yeah, that's you move through like you don't have to continuously start moving from the same ones again so you get like oh okay i can start from somewhere else and then Mm. you trace a path that's different and perhaps more efficient so there's a nice element of like tactical building for the future Mm. you know so there's a lot of interesting things happening in dinosaur world 
I just felt like ultimately it's too big. The production feels all over the place in terms that some of it is really, really great. And some of it feels poorly thought out. Like, you know, you only see the silhouette of a dinosaur. Uh, when you put it in the pen yeah, or the maybe. boredom trackers which are the tiniest tokens in the world oh, so they small. are so small <laughs> think of a small token now shrink that three times <laughs> they are very small they were very fiddly mm. i would also say that and and a couple of times i knocked them and thought where was that boredom token i who, don't remember who knows um yeah they were very very fiddly if your fingers aren't perfectly good at gripping things you may struggle with that yeah well that was dinosaur world a good game but one we wanted to be better you know where they sometimes find dinosaur bones and skins go on then in ice caves is is that your lead into uh -huh. exit mystery good, of the ice? i don't well, i wouldn't say <laughs> the word good is a loaded word all right well you do better Okay, um, okay, yeah, let's exactly. just move on. Yeah, exactly. Let's just move on. See, see. <laughs> so uh, this is Exit, the Mystery of the Ice Cave, which is an advent calendar. Which means, seeing as this episode is published in December, we got there a little bit too late. <laughs> I liked how you, you said December like you'd edited in that word. This, right. this calendar was published in December, like that. You no, I just like wanted that. to keep your cadence. Like oh, you I said, see. you know, advent calendar. So <laughs> oh, I, I said see. December. Yeah, it might be a little bit too late for buying an advent. I don't know. It's no, it's not too late. I mean, it's already started. I, th I think that I think it's that exit mystery of the ice cave might have been sold out by now. Oh, okay. Well, but here you go. Here's our belated coverage of of an advent calendar that we enjoyed greatly. Oh, the spoilers. Well, <laughs> you know. It was amazing. It was so it was, good, wasn't it? Was it was literally, and I don't say that lightly, the best advent calendar I think I've ever had. Wow. And you're an aficionado of advent calendars. I love an advent calendar, yeah. Yeah. Even, I, even though I don't celebrate advent particularly, I love an advent calendar. Yeah, no, I thought it was great because we could do it together. Like normally an advent calendar is quite a solitary, like if it's a chocolate one or whatever, mm -hmm. it's quite a solitary thing. You open a door and you get the thing that's inside. And if it's a chocolate, then you eat it, right? Yeah. And if you're doing it with someone else, they don't get to eat it, right? I, I have to disclose here your propensity towards escape room style uh, mystery boxes uh -huh. uh, in, in, in the vein of unlock or exit as mm -hmm. this series is mm -hmm. and disclose your bias basically oh, towards a massive bias yeah <laughs> completely Sorry, being ridiculous but yeah no i i think people should know that this is a uh, an escape room style advent yes. calendar and you get 24 mini escape rooms uh, yes. to do one a day leading up to christmas if you can snag a copy even though it's already december i would recommend just get it get it even mm. though it's late you're gonna mm. have a great time opened the first couple of puzzles to catch up on 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 the first day and and then keep going and and i would also 
uncharacteristically recommend because I don't like advent calendars, no, you right? Don't. I think they're pointless. It's just like open all the boxes now, be done with it. Who cares, right? Uh, I know. I, I eat, just eat, just open the end and pull the tray out. That's yeah. That's what you want to do. That's, that's, eat all the chocolate. Exactly right. <laughs> and if you were offended by that, I look forward to your letters. Please send them all to so very wrong about games at gmail.com. <laughs> wow. Um, three things that I like generally, right? Advent calendars, puzzles, for example, escape room type puzzles, mm-hmm. and meta things. Yes. This had all three. This covered all of those bases. Uh, this this podcast, we're not going to do any spoilers of what is inside the advent calendar because I think that's the, the fun is opening it and discovering it. But tiny minor spoiler, it is quite meta. Yeah. Uh, so the story itself concerns with you... Uh, being an ice skier on holiday yes. and doing some ice skiing and then tripping and crashing falling and hole. falling down a hole and finding yourself in a mysterious ice cave. Uh-huh. Uh, and so you have basically now 24 mini puzzles to, to get out of that ice cave. And, and it's this huge thing. You get this sort of huge advent calendar and you you have a like a four by six grid sure and the doors aren't numbered right so number normally one is numbered number so one is numbered one yeah so, so part of the puzzle is figuring out figuring out which door is next right, right. that's not a spoiler that's no. something you know immediately yeah. and you're you're solving this uh little puzzle when you open the first door and then you get the number to the next door if you do it correctly number two yeah that's number not a spoiler well also. yeah yeah <laughs> and, and and so you continue onwards uh through this ludicrous maze and i say ludicrous in the best possible way, by the <laughs> it way. It is quite ludicrous. And the, the neat thing about it is, is that you get this decoder um, and each of the doors has three symbols on. Mm-hmm. And when you think you have solved... So it, in the same style as most exit type games, uh, there are going to be three numbers that you have yeah. to discover. And when you have discovered those numbers, you put them into this decoder and it will give you three symbols. And then you match those three symbols to the one door of the you doors, think it is, the door yeah. that you think it is, and if those symbols match, then it's the correct door. You've you've done the puzzle right, and then you can open, or you can write on mm. that door the next day's number. So uh, I don't think it's also a spoiler to say there are many surprises along the way. There are many puzzles along the way. Some of the puzzles. So here's the thing: the, the nature of this being an advent calendar, I think sometimes doesn't work but most of the time works towards its benefit and when it doesn't work is when the puzzle for the day is rubbish but the thing is you've got another one tomorrow Mm -hmm. so even if a one puzzle is kind of naff yeah then you know that well never mind i've got another one tomorrow well you know what i also think in my somewhat more negative view of advent Mm -hmm. calendars i i have discovered that that's very much part of the advent calendar over where you open one day you'll open the door and go this is crap and then another day you'll open the door and you go why can't all days be like this but i guess it's it's to make something stand out you know so when the puzzles in in this advent calendar are great they are really great and actually uh some of the best uh, escape room style puzzles 
I have played, I have found in this advent calendar. Yeah. So, like, the moments, the highs it generated were just, woo, you know, really yeah. good. And it's this, it's very similar. If you've ever played um, an exit specifically escape room game, then it has the same elements of mm. other exit escape room games. It does the same types of things. Like there might be things on the box or that you might, you know that you might have to look for. You know that the, the puzzle isn't necessarily straightforward. Mm. So which brings me to how we played mm. this particular advent calendar. For the first half, we followed the rule of one puzzle a day. Yes. In the second half... We just sat down and did it in one yeah, go, we did. right? <laughs> yeah, we uh, did. I, because we wanted to know how it feels and mm. we wanted to sort of compare the difference in that. And the first half, I have to say, was much harder. And I think it makes the the advent calendar harder overall if you just play one a day. And I think that's Possibly, maybe intentional. Yeah. And I think that's a lot to do with the puzzle mind frame. Because when you do one puzzle, your brain sort of goes, okay, we're in puzzle solving mode. Yeah. And suddenly it thinks a lot more analytically, right? But when you do just one puzzle a day, right? It's mm. like your brain then resets the next day and you have to get into puzzle mode again. But by the time you do it, your puzzle for the day is done. done. Mm. And uh, so some of the puzzles that were quite obtuse maybe would have been less obtuse if we had just done it all in one go i'm not sure right but yeah, i felt like some solutions you know it did have some of those puzzles that were like oh really this was the solution i can't believe i didn't see that right uh, did we look at any solution there was one i think we, there was yeah. one that we looked at the solution because we were like i this is nonsense i can't work yeah this and it was nonsense wasn't it if kind of felt like it was a little bit nonsense yeah but it was only one puzzle mm. out of 24 and yeah. and there were i don't know maybe four or five at least that we literally you know went wow that uh -huh. was great i know um and when we were playing uh, one puzzle a day we we were both like is that it? that's it for the day oh no yeah <laughs> like, i want to play more and, yeah. and what was really nice um Coming back to what you said about it maybe being harder because you were doing mm -hmm. one a day, some of the puzzles did influence further down puzzles. Mm. I don't want to say any more about that because it would be a spoiler, but I think because you maybe forgot about things that you'd done previously, it was a really good feeling when you did remember something you'd done a long time ago or seen a long time ago and went, mm. aha, yeah. I know this is maybe part of this puzzle. This isn't a spoiler because the game literally tells you at the start of the rule book, keep things around, yes. they'll be useful later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but it was cool when you remembered that. Yeah. Like when you remembered, ah, mm. I know we did something of this before. Mm. And it was even cooler, I don't know, when you didn't remember that and the game surprised you. Yeah. Like it, it felt really good. I, I really enjoyed just sitting down, playing it. We had, you know, played it in the morning. We had a coffee and just did a puzzle. And that was a really nice way to start that the day. That was such a great way to start yeah. the day, right? Like a morning puzzle and then you go off with your day and do something yeah. else. It, it was really nice. I also have to give props to the ending. Uh, it was a very satisfying <laughs> end puzzle. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I do have to put out a warning because this is uh, something that maybe feels like a family activity, uh -huh. right? But at times, not overly, but at times, mm -hmm. the game leans into creepy territory. <laughs> Think the Saw franchise, but remove the gore. Oh, no, I mean, if you're going to do an escape room game, then you know that 
there is some reason why you are stuck in that yeah. place. I don't think that's... I know, but but there's a lot more narrative this time around than in a regular... There's reams and reams and reams of text that you have to read, right? And, yeah. and when they flesh that all out, suddenly it starts getting a little bit creepy, right? So it's probably fine for kids, but, yeah, but it can so. get a little bit, uh, you know, like... Yeah, but I, I think some of the unlocks that we've played have had more narrative. Mm. So, so not the exits, but the unlock mm. puzzle adventures that we've played have a, had a bit more narrative that put it in that same kind of territory. And I guess, yeah, we haven't seen that as much with, with exit because generally in exit you have something at the beginning that introduces you and then you off you go and do mm -hmm. all the puzzles whereas this had some narrative every day and that again that's not a spoiler because you can literally see there's a booklet with a calendar a kind of calendar that that tells you a bit of narrative for every day and it tells you a bit more of the story yeah i thought it was quite funny there was one particular one that was to do with music and that's specifically narrative right so i'm not really spoiling a puzzle in itself um, and it, it just saying music again, I'm not really, we're so careful about not spoiling anything, but like there's, there's one to do with music. And, and if you playing this, or if you played this, or if you will play this, if, if you f encounter what I'm talking about, do let us know. <laughs> That was very subtle. Yes. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Uh, so I'm not sure you can still find Mystery of the Ice Caves. If you can, grab a copy, even though it's already December. But also keep aware that maybe... I, I think they're going to do another one next year that's a different mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. um, so I would I would get your hands on that if you could... Uh, it's just it's just a great way to spend December. And <laughs> the whole of December. Well, a tiny piece of each day in December. Yeah. Um, I, there's one more thing that I want to say, which is a minor spoiler, but I think it's important. If you have very small children, don't give them the box on their own. Yeah, that's, that's all I'm going to say. Okay, that's, um, that is pretty important. I, I feel mean, like. not that you would. You're not going to give a, a, a small child a box to tear apart, but yeah. don't, don't leave it with them accidentally. That's yeah. it. What could be more Christmassy, Efka, than capitalism? Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> wait, that's it. Yeah. Let's talk about Magnate. Well, uh, Magnate is a first-time design from James mm. Naylor. Uh, so I was familiar with Magnet for quite a while because it was sort of a UK's con scene darling. Uh, I remember James going to pretty much every convention demoing Magnet First City. Then it went on Kickstarter and then funded. Uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and now we have a copy. Uh, and I finally got to play Magnet First City. I tend to avoid playing prototypes mostly because mm -hmm. like if they become games, then, you know, I, I'd rather much rather have like a complete impression of, yeah, of yeah. a finished product. And... Uh, well, that was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> that game? was an interesting game that we played. Yeah. Um, that felt incredibly bizarre. So, okay, I I'm going to spoil my verdict, right? Okay. I had a great time <laughs> playing Magnate First City. Like, genuinely laugh out loud moments, uh, funky interactions, interesting stuff happening on the board. Not sure I would recommend it to anyone. <laughs> wow, why? Well, I guess let's spend the next... <laughs> 20 or so minutes <laughs> discussing it. When I picked up 
this game. Like when I looked at this game, I thought, oh no, this is Monopoly with Yahtzee elements in it. Uh-huh. And I thought, I'm not going to enjoy this at all. I, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Yeah. Uh, but that was the impression that it gave me because it's property tycooning uh-huh. and also rolling a bunch of dice and trying to get the right numbers on those dice. Uh-huh. And the rule book is. It's it's clearly laid out, right? But mm. it was there were so many bits to it and there was no videos that I could watch. I thought I'm never gonna learn how to play this game. But I like you, yeah. We had such a good time playing it because it comes with these little plastic pieces uh, mm. that are actual buildings that you get to put on the board and you get to put your own uh, business tycoon marker into those buildings and you get to buy land, you get to sell buildings, you get to rent out to people. Um, you feel like a pretty bad person doing it, I have to say. The game leans into that. Like when you when you read the company descriptions mm. that you will be playing. Oh, you're not good people yeah like it just straight up lets you know you are awful uh in so many ways Uh it's like sort of it's it's treading this very fine line of being subtle about it but not really being subtle about it but but no like there's implied subtlety there's nothing subtle about it yeah but there's this sort of implied subtlety where it doesn't say you're a pos you know but like no it's like well you did this and this this mum and pop company that now tears up everyone else yeah, pretty much. Because the son inherited the company and restructured everything and now it's bad. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed a lot about Magnate. Mm. Uh, there's there's a very interesting game happening there where you buy property. Uh, you, buy, you buy land. So you have a board that's composed out of six tiles. And mm-hmm. each of those six tiles has nine potential Mm -hmm. spaces for you to build properties. Not all of them are accessible, but that's a lot of space, basically. And you will will buy the land Mm -hmm. uh, for X amount of money, Mm -hmm. and then you will uh, build something on that land for X amount of money. And then hopefully that's going to generate you profit. Now, the way that happens is the interesting part of the game because land value continuously goes up in the game until the market crashes, at which point it becomes worth way less than it was before. So you've already got like a sort of a a gambling situation. You invest early into Mm -hmm. land, it's going to be worth a lot more. you invest early into a building it's going to be worth a lot more and the amount it's worth more is really what was astounding yeah yeah so the the property value itself doesn't change but the land value changes yeah um and the longer you have a building the longer you can rent it out well that's not entirely true so the property value does change but it's based not on the property, but the factors surrounding it. So, for oh, example, true, yeah. if, let's say, I build an office uh-huh. and it's in an area that grants the office building bonuses yeah. and then it's got residential buildings next to it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that increases the potential resale value of that property. Yeah. And I think I remember like buying some land for 300,000, which is by the way, 100,000 is like it's not a lot. one money yeah. basically, right? <laughs> yes. Think like the game really has this weird scale of I mean not weird in terms of like that's I guess how much money a place would cost, mm-hmm. but weird in terms that it simulates reality in a board game that in a way that board games have done away with a long time ago yeah you know like normally now it would be abstracted it would just cost 
what free money not yeah, 300,000 yeah, yeah. but magnet first city goes no 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 we're bringing all of that monopoly stuff back right yeah like, even monopoly didn't have realistic anyway I'm, 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 i think they wanted to make you feel like you were a real magnet because you had a literal paper wallet that you put that money in you yeah. put your notes in you had stacks of like hundred thousand dollars two hundred thousand dollars five hundred uh, a million dollars and you put them in your little paper wallet and hid them away you squirreled them away so that other people couldn't see how much you had that was too on the nose for me <laughs> I, give me the abstraction anyway I, I i'm getting digressed so i spent like you know three hundred thousand on 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 some land yeah. and then i spent like whatever it was like on the building yeah. you know a little bit more than that but you know it wasn't that much and then i sold it for five million and i was like <laughs> no, what yeah. just happened well that's funny because the the first time one of us sold a building and it was like 4.7 million dollars and we were like what because you know we'd been uh, getting rent and the rent mm. was like three hundred thousand dollars or whatever yeah. and i think it was you that sold it for a lot and i my jaw just dropped but then as we progressed the game that was peanuts yeah because we were getting like 25 million dollars i think at the end of the game we got to maybe like 20 million dollars i think yes yeah, yeah yeah no i think it was 25 because I, I remember having that much money available right mm. and i couldn't do the maths i couldn't do the noughts like i'm so used to playing games that have abstracted amounts of money like one money two money whatever yeah. i i was going this is Four hundred thousand million dollars. And you were like, no, that's billion. And I just couldn't do the maths of of what was going on. Yeah. So in in that way, Magnet First City is is pretty funky because it has these sort of like surprising moments, right? Uh -huh. And the game itself actually lies in this building of the landscape, right? Uh -huh. So you're trying to get various bonuses off of the buildings that you've already built mm -hmm. or someone else has built if you build next to yes. them right yeah and i think this is uh one of the uh places where i found magni the first city lacking now i have to admit that we have played only the beginner variant mm -hmm. and i feel like the game is in the advanced variant mm -hmm. because each time for building in the beginner variant rips off specifically a different type of building or like but it's preset each building is the same. In the advanced game, you have different kinds of tenants and they riff off of different kinds of buildings in different ways and provide yeah. different bonuses uh, and penalties more specifically. Because mm -hmm. in the beginner game, mm -hmm. the only penalty that exists to a building is if you build a factory next to a residential building so you can penalize someone's residential yeah. building, which makes the residential building a more risky proposition because there's someone in the game can build a factory deliberately next to it taking down its value yeah whereas in the advanced game uh you have different types of factory tenants that provide like there's a you can have like a chemical plant yeah, or something yeah. like that and they do that, different things yeah, yeah they they do different things and they penalize all kinds of buildings rather than just so there's there's a bit more friction and a bit more interaction we also played it only as a two-player game yes and the board size doesn't scale towards player accounts so we were interacting a lot less mm -hmm. and I felt like the game would have been better with more players. 
Which brings me to the point of the AI player, because mm. it says in the rule book that you can have an AI player mm. at any player count. Mm. And in fact, um, what the clever thing that the rule book does is that it comes, or the, the, the game does, is that it comes with like a, a tutorial deck mm. uh, that you can work through rather than reading through the rule book. Uh, you can work through the tutorial deck and you must have an AI player in with that game because mm. otherwise it doesn't work. And I thought, this is a weird mechanism. Like, why would you have an AI player at any player count? And I understand kind of why now, because in a two-player game, it works perfectly well as a game. It, it mm. You know, everything works. It does scale in a way. The, the board doesn't scale, but other things change. So the board where you evaluate how much the property is worth changes, for example. But but the actual boards, you're right, don't scale. So you you have big swathes of land that neither of us was competing for mm. and neither of us was influencing the other one when we when we placed buildings on it. And that is why you would have this extra AI player, even though the game works, without it. Mm, yeah, so uh, we definitely didn't play it at its ideal mode. Mm, I think and so. And definitely didn't play it with its ideal player count. Mm -hmm. But... One of the reasons I say I wouldn't necessarily recommend Magnet to anyone is because there are some parts of it that just feel so fiddly and so all over the place. Mm. Like um, at the start of the round, there is uh, a phase where you're attracting tenants to yes. your buildings and you have to roll dice. And there's this sort of like whole mechanism about what kind of building you have and what kind of tenants you're attracting and then how many dice you need to roll based on that building and what results you need to get right. and then you have to count the buildings around it right. and then it depends on <laughs> it, it like it There's, it has so it many just, variables yeah it goes mm. on and on and on and the result of that is that you roll some dice <laughs> and then you see whether you get the thing or not and there's some tokens yeah. to mitigate that so in an economic i understand why they did that mm. because i think it adds a touch of unpredictability uh because uh what you want to do effectively is bid for turn order and then in bid, when you bid for turn order you bid any leftover money that you have it's quite clever how that works actually yeah. because you have to carry over money that you haven't spent on developing new properties mm. from the previous round so that you can have some leftover to bid for the next round uh and bidding is really important because there might not be enough tenants of the type that you want mm. and because the tenants increase the value of your property you want those tenants so and you might have the same building as another player and you both want those tenants mm. and there's not enough of those tenants so you want to you want to spend your money on 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 attracting those tenants so you want to be first who does that uh, but then you roll dice and i guess you roll the dice because otherwise someone would be first and would just hoover Over everything, everything yeah, up, would, right? Yeah. So you want some unpredictability in this game. But the dice, like, can literally win or lose you the yeah. game be because based on how you roll. Uh, yeah, and that, that kind of did happen uh, a little bit. I bid a lot of money to go first because there was only one... Uh, of that certain type of tenant that I needed and you needed and there's yeah. only one available and so I bid a lot to go first and then my dice just crapped out on me and yeah. I rolled nothing good and you hoovered it up anyway I was like well what was the point of that I just lost all this money <laughs> for nothing yeah so 
my problem isn't necessarily with luck. Like, I don't mind luck in games. Yeah, sure. uh, push your luck is fun and interesting. Not in a game like this. Uh, it feels slightly mismatched. It, it's not the worst thing. I'm, no. I'm making it sound bad. It's not the worst thing. It's fine. I just rather it wasn't there. I rather it was managed in a different way. But the benefit of having something like a dice rolling mechanism is that it's fast. Yes. This isn't fast. No. You have to go and then this you bonus check, and then you check that this bonus. Table and yeah. then you look at the dice and then you look at yeah, the bonuses and you look at what you're rolling for and what you need to get. And yeah, it's it's fiddly. It's really fiddly. It's very clunky. And I understand why all these mechanisms exist because you know mm. you're sort of interacting with the landscape and the entire environment. These bonuses come from where you built your building, where you built other buildings, how those buildings and tenants interact with each other. That's mm. all cool. It just it just feels like a mismatch. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, I, I don't mind the luck element either. I think it kind of adds a thematic tone to it because you are a property magnet and things mm. might go well and things might not right yeah. so it adds that variability to it um but one of the things that i struggled with was the terminology also mm. uh, because there's so many little bits of terminology that are quite similar like so there's tenants which are not the same as population and there's neighborhoods and uh, different things that interact with each other in certain scenarios and then don't interact with each other in certain scenarios. And there's a lot to remember. Having said all of that, mm. uh, what Magnet First City does manage is, first of all, the same sort of storytelling that uh, Dinosaur World, yes. <laughs> I think, is going for, where you're not nice people, you're doing bad things, but a lot of stuff just happens. But the benefit it has over Dinosaur World is it's just, this game is buck wild right and the pun is very much intended because of bucks you see the dollars oh i see oh, yeah i was thinking of the deer no that yeah. makes a lot more sense yeah, yeah. and uh, well it that's i think where the phrase comes from what, the from deer? the deer but uh -huh. but i did the, i know i see what you did yeah yeah uh, -huh, uh, -huh. uh anyway uh you know so many so many big numbers happen and so many exciting things happen. You build this massive <laughs> office block, you rob the tenants from another player, then you sell it for a like a bajillion <laughs> money, right? And yeah. that's cool. I like that, right? Yeah. I, I like how just out of this world it feels, you know? It, re it really carries that mm. sense of, of like you're a magnate and you're exploiting the land and the people around you yeah. uh, to make a ludicrous, egregious, obscene amounts of money. Yeah. And, and the obscenity of it would have worked with me whether it had a bunch of zeros on it at the end or not, because um, because I think yeah, I think you maybe. even get a better sense of progression about like how much money you're making if if the numbers are a little bit more relatable. Like you know, See, I, I spent free yeah, and I, I got forty. That's... No, I disagree with you. I think I I've never seen that kind of amount of money in my life, right? Yeah. Like, so so having something that said to me this is two hundred thousand dollars, right, was just felt obscene and grotesque and i think that's what it wanted to do okay it just wanted to go and and also the the way that you build is is obscene because yeah. you're, you're trying to build not the best for the residents but the best for you right uh -huh. to get the most money oh, that no. you like can. when you like sell the, the property it's still there yeah. and the people oh, yeah. are still there but they don't matter to you no. anymore no right? someone who isn't playing the game owns 
that building now. Yeah. And and all but all they do matter is the bonuses that they provide yeah, to your other buildings, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that that's very much not lost on me. And I enjoyed all of that. Mm. Uh and I also enjoyed the ludicrous pieces. It's it's a game that really indulges itself. There's lots of dinky plastic buildings that aren't at all dinky and are actually yeah, quite, quite chunky, chunky yeah. and mm. uh uh, thank you only from a human perspective, uh-huh. you know, because I can p- pick them up with my I like hand. Godzilla. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But they're fun and you get to slot in like your token into yeah, the building that says this is my building. Mm. That That's nice. There's a lot of nice things happening there. And I, I had a great time. I want to play it again. I want to play the yeah. advanced mode because I think that's really where the game lies. And I would like to play it with more players. I think that would be a lot of fun. But for now... It's sort of a, a, a cautious non-recommendation on Magnet for City. I, I think I would recommend it more than, than you. Um, particularly, I wanted to play through the tutorial and you went, no. Well, okay, <laughs> so, so here's another problem with the production. The tutorial deck is, you know... Yes, but now I know why. Because there's so many little bits. And, and I was struggling with all the different terminology, but it would introduce you to each bit at a time. But right? you would have to sit there and read for hours. Did you see the tutorial, the size of the tutorial yes, deck? Yeah, I it's, had looked through it. It's yeah. like, take five 52 regular card decks and stack them on top of each other and then make them tarot sized. That is the size of uh-huh. the tutorial deck and how much reading uh-huh. you have to uh-huh. do to go. No, I'm just, it's. But what, what I do want to say is that once we kind of got over um how to calculate things the game was much faster Mm. and i think maybe if we had played through that tutorial or at least known when we played Mm. that first game that okay this is going to be not just a learning game of the the kind of mechanisms overall but it's going to be literally a learning game of what each thing does and how to do it right i think we probably would have played it faster one thing I forgot to mention, and actually uh, do want to bring up, uh, was the ending of the game, which I quite enjoyed. I, th- <laughs> I, I feel like uh-huh. it had a good arc. What, when the market crashed? Yeah, when the market mm. crashes, because you, you're you sort of watching this this land value token go up and up and up mm-hmm. and up. And then there's a market crash token that goes down and down and down mm-hmm. and down and down. And what you want to do is you want to time when you're going to sell all your buildings to when the land value is highest but just before the market crashes, mm. because as soon as the market crashes, the land value is going to go down, mm-hmm. right? And and it's Sorry, fun. Where's it going to go? Down. Oh, nice. And it's fun to be in that last round where people think it's going to crash. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, sell everything. And everyone just sells everything, right? And. I wonder how that works with more players because the act of selling makes the market crash more. Yes. Like the, in- yeah, the potential yeah. increases. And I maybe. Maybe there's uh, more scope for someone withholding and then the market doesn't crash, but everyone sold too early. I don't know how that would work out. It seems like there's potential for that in the game. At least the game definitely alludes to it. But it feels like it's so unpredictable whether that's going to happen or not that you don't have as much fine control over these tactical decisions. You can Mm -hmm. sort of call a shot and go, maybe it'll happen, but probably not, right? I wish... That was more developed into uh, a, a reasonable strategy, right? Yeah. So, so I guess this is my overall sort of sense of magnificity. I think there's a lot of really fun, interesting things mm. happening in it. Mm. I just wish it was a bit more precise and more developed. Yeah, but I think I don't know. See, that's I think I just need to play it more to find out 
how to fine tune those different bits because because the first game that we played was very much a learning game yeah uh, and i think you could probably you could get quite good at maybe knowing when that was going to happen and particularly mm. if you had a four player game you would get good at knowing how other people were reacting to how the market was doing mm. right so you could make those decisions based on the state of the board mm. what you had in front of you what property you had left to sell how much rent you were getting mm. and also based on what everyone else was doing right and i think i think there's a lot of uh, scope for discovery mm. i think so too that's why uh, we're keeping magnet first city mm. uh for now uh, to see how it goes and if it goes well we'll report on it if it doesn't we won't you'll never hear of it again <laughs> Oh, <laughs> from us. That was the 29th No Pun Included podcast. If people would like to find out more or leave us a comment or listen to more episodes of this podcast, where can they find it? They can find it on nopunincluded.com slash podcast, where they can also find our videos, or you can just go directly to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash nopunincluded. And finally, if you really, 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 really like us, and I bet that you do. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash no pun included. Uh, give us some money. And and that money will translate into a private Discord membership. Bonus videos, such as my series on uh, top 90, my top 97 board games. And, and, and various other little tidbits. So it's a good thing you you allow us to keep going and 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 we give you slightly more that i think that's a fair trade right also if you like listening to this you can leave us a review on apple podcasts and if you don't like listening to this please don't do not leave a review on apple podcasts thank you very much everyone why don't you say goodbye elaine goodbye elaine goodbye elaine